2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 3 on page 1189. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for this time to study your word and to think especially about prayer itself. Please, would you encourage us as we think together, as we read this, as we hear you speak through your word into our lives today. We pray that our lives would glorify Jesus as a result of your work in us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're... Uh, we've left acts behind we're moving on to think about prayer for the next six weeks both in morning and evening services um, all together looking at different prayers that Paul prayed uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament that we can see in his letters and uh, to help us with that you can see as well there's some practical things on the back on the back of the notice sheet at the bottom there's some things there that may be helpful particularly afterwards as you think if there's ways that you want to think about this more including a book um, called uh, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, that these sermons are kind of loosely based on. They're not, they're not word for word, I promise you. Uh, but you may see some uh, similarities, particularly between the passages that each chapter focuses on in that book. Um, and uh, so if you want to think a bit more about what we're thinking about, please get hold of that in the usual places, and there's some other things there. But how about this? Does any of this prayer that I'm about to read to you now, does any of this sound in any way familiar to you? So, dear Lord, I've got some really great plans going on at the moment. 
and it would be brilliant if you could get involved. I've also got a really difficult situation that I'm dealing with, and, and I'd love it if you could just make it a bit easier. And there's my friend as well. She's going through a really tough thing as well. Please sort that out for her. Amen. Does that sound in any way vaguely familiar? I think a lot of the time, if we're honest, when we pray, if we pray, our prayers often come down to situations and stuff. Things we need, problems we need to sort out. I don't know if you'd agree with that. And in, in one sense, you know, that's great. These are not bad prayers to pray or bad things to pray about. But one of the issues we may then face is that we then might find, well, it doesn't feel to me like God is answering those prayers in the way that I might hope or I might expect. So internally, we maybe get this kind of sense, you know, well, I kind of suspect God isn't probably all that concerned with whether I or my loved one get the job or make the deal or even recover from the illness or whatever it is. Or at least, you know, my priorities maybe aren't quite his priorities. And that makes me slightly suspect that, you know, praying isn't really going to get the job done. And the world around me tells me all the time anyway that it's all down to me and, you know, God helps those who help themselves, so get helping yourself, you know. And so what happens is prayer kind of slips down the agenda because, you know, well, there's stuff to do and there's situations to manage. Well, we're going to be focusing on this for the next six weeks to think about prayer both as individuals and um, at different times as a, as a church as well and what it means to be God's people praying together, the importance of praying as individuals and as God's people. Um, but we start with this section of um, 2 Thessalonians, and we get straight into a prayer in these verses that looks like it begins in, in verse 11, if you look, with this in mind, he says, we constantly pray. But as we read this, we then have to ask the question, well, with what in mind as Paul prays? What has he got in mind as he prays? That's the key question. And the this that he has in mind is verses 3 to 10 after the, the brief greeting in, in verses 1 and 2. So verses 3 to 10 show us what Paul's perspective is as he prays for the Christians in Thessalonica that he's writing to. And these perspectives are often helpful to hold up as a mirror to our own prayers or, or, or lack of prayers to say, well, what is driving us to pray or, or, or what is meaning that we're not quite getting around to praying? So we need to get the perspective right on prayer verses 3 to 10 and that will help us when we actually pray so let's look at these uh, briefly now two perspectives that we often lack so first of all looking back with thankfulness looking back with thankfulness so Paul and you can see that on the on the notice sheet Paul begins not with what he's praying but with what he's thanking God for and, and even actually the not the wider non-christian world has latched onto the fact that thankfulness is quite a healthy trait. I don't know if you've noticed this. So Eliana, my daughter, was, was talk, telling me about a school assembly that she was in, where the teacher was promoting thankfulness as an antidote to kind of exam stress in the, in the, in the exam season that we're in right now. Um, so keep a record of what you are thankful for, said the, 
the teacher, which, you know, it's great as far as it goes. But then the question for the wider world is, well, who exactly are you thanking? Isn't that the question? Because if the world is a random collection of atoms with no ultimate purpose or meaning, well, actually, there's nobody to thank, is there? It's all entirely meaningless. But the Christian knows there is a God who made us and made the world, who loves us, who's in charge, who's, who's what we call sovereign over the universe, even over the details of our lives. And so we can thank him. Thank him. But notice then what he thanks God for, not just stuff as we often focus on, you know, and we, it's right, isn't it? It's right to pray, thank you for my home, thank you for my family, thank you for the food that we eat before meals and all that kind of thing, all good things to thank God for. But what does he say thank you to God for? He says he thanks God for their faith and their love and their perseverance. So here's the question, when was the last time you thanked God for those things in those around you? If you think about it, this is a prayer of thanks. You can pray in almost any circumstances. So someone might be going through a really tough time, might have lost everything. But maybe you can see, you no, know, they're growing in their faith and they're trusting God despite the tough times. They're loving one another, not just in the way our culture around us loves those who have the same values and outlooks and shared life experiences, but loving those who are different from us by sharing faith in Christ. They're persevering, they're keeping going when things are tough. You see, what gets Paul really excited, this is really important to see, what gets Paul really excited is not when God kind of miraculously makes things a little bit easier for us, you know, and the illness turns out not to be as serious as first thought, and the, the house sale goes through against the odds, and the elusive job hunter ends in success. Well, those things are great, but Paul gets even more excited about when Christians, look verse 4, are persevering in faith even though they are suffering. Now, there are some wonderful examples of that, even in our own church family. If you've been around with us the last few years or, or, or you know, in recent times, and I'm not going to name names, but you might be able to think of examples of people who have been persevering in faith through tough times. And that's a wonderful thing to give thanks for when we see signs of God's work in one another's lives. So looking back with thankfulness, looking back with thankfulness, it's like cleaning your glasses so that you can see God clearly at work in your life and those around you. You know, sometimes, because it feels like sometimes, doesn't it? feels like you know, everyone around us maybe is sort of saying, well, you know, God's amazing, isn't it great? And sort of everything's brilliant. And you're thinking, well, I... I can't really see that. I just feel like everything's really difficult. And Paul is saying, it's as if you've been taken to look at a beautiful view. You know, you've been taken you know, maybe to the top of Parliament Hill, or you know, choose your view that you want. Okay? You've been taken to the top of, uh, to, to see a beautiful view, or so, and you're there, but you're there with really dirty glasses. And so you're looking, and you're going can't really see what all the fuss is about. I mean, I'm looking out, and you're telling me this is a beautiful view, but I'm looking out, and all I can see is kind of murk, and it's all dark. You know, there's nothing particularly beautiful to see here. Well, the problem is you need to clean your glasses. And so look back with thankfulness, because the reality is, as we look back, we realise, no, God is at work. There's so much to give thanks for, 
even in the details of the way that he has sustained us up till now in our lives. And it will be different for each one of us as we put our trust in Jesus. If you're trusting Jesus, you are almost certainly an answer to prayer. Your own prayers, maybe the prayers of those around you who've loved you and cared for you in different ways, if you're trusting in Jesus, that is a massive answer to prayer. Praise the Lord. So look back with thankfulness. Then his second perspective, he looks forward to Jesus' return, verses 5 to 10. Verses 5 to 10. So there's lots that we can say here, but we need to focus on the big picture. Look at verse 5. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So getting a future perspective means that for Christians, whatever is going on now, the future is bright. Isn't that right? So you might be suffering now, Paul is saying, but as God sustains you through that suffering, he's getting you ready for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus returns. And on that day, everyone will see that suffering now was worth it. So if you're trusting Jesus, he says, you will be counted worthy, not on the basis of anything you've done, but on the basis of what Jesus did by dying on the cross. That is always the logic. That's what he means there when he says you will be counted worthy. Because Jesus died for you. If you're trusting him, that is the basis on which you will be accepted. And so what that means is, what that means is that future that we've just described is completely certain if you're trusting Jesus. Because it doesn't depend on you and your performance. So it's certain, and you can, you can be absolutely certain, therefore, that the future is bright. Whatever is happening now. So I've shared before that my brother and family are medical missionaries working in a hospital in rural Madagascar. And uh, the name of their hospital is Hopitali Valval Maftali, which I shall translate for you, uh, which means the hospital of the news that makes you happy. So the good news hospital, we would say in English. So it's the, think about this. It's the hospital where you go there and whatever they have to say to you about their health, and they are treating people and doing kind of you know, medicine for them, but whatever you, you go there, they've always got good news for you. You see? That's the point. Because they can share the way to spend eternity with Jesus who's defeated sin and death and that, that is what they do good news but the striking thing then as we look at what Paul says here is that Paul includes what he says about punishment in hell for those who reject Jesus in verses 6 to 10 he includes that as part of the good news that he's just been sharing that doesn't sound like good news at all, does it? But if you're suffering, particularly if, you're, if that suffering is because of persecution, so you're being ill-treated because of your faith, you need to know that justice will be done. You need to know that God is a God of justice. You need to know that God won't just say, oh, it doesn't matter the way you're being treated. It doesn't matter at all. No, it really matters. 
That is what Paul is describing here in this, you know, very stark language, isn't it? It's language that we don't read easily today and, and think, well, is this really appropriate? But it is what both Paul and, and Jesus himself, you'll find this kind of language on the lips of Jesus in the Gospels. And so he talks about the everlasting destruction and being shut out from the presence of the Lord in verse 9. And it, it's serious, and we can't discuss this flippantly without tears in our eyes, but there's, there is that sense, though, that this is for those... It's, do, you, do you notice what he says? That those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which just means simply that they... What's, what's obeying the gospel means? It means putting your faith in the offer to be saved from what you deserve. And so if you, if you, if you reject that and say, I don't want that... Well, what is left but to receive what we deserve? That is what he's talking about here. So there is that sense that, you know, those who end up in this situation that he describes here, that it won't be because God is somehow ignoring their pleas to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. The whole point is they said they don't want that. That is what you're rejecting when you say, I don't want Jesus. And the end point of that is God saying, well, okay, well, you, in, that, in that sense, you get what you want then. You get not to be in the, in the presence of my blessings and my love in that way. And that will still be what they want in one sense, even though it will be terrible. But the point is, of course, it's what all of us deserve. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? For turning our backs on the God who made us. Our sin must be punished. The Bible is clear on that. But the Bible is also clear that there is a saviour. That God has provided a saviour. The same God who says, justice must be done. And if we're honest, we want justice to be done. We, how, what would it be like to live in a world where there was no justice? We want there to be justice. But in crying out for justice, we also need a saviour. And that is what the same God, who is the God of justice, has provided in Jesus Christ. Who took that punishment that we deserve. So in the end, either our sin will be seen to have been paid for by Jesus on the cross. Or we will pay the consequences ourselves. Now there's a lot more we can say about that. But the point here, and especially for this morning with the focus that we have, is to see how this influences how we pray. Because if Jesus is coming back, that changes our priorities. That's the point. And again, I'll see our, if our priorities, our, our focus of our prayers is so often focused on situations and stuff here and now. One writer comments that the, the prayers of Christians are often mostly focused on keeping Christians out of heaven. In other words, you know, please help them to recover from illness so that they don't die so, quite so quickly. When actually, you know, in one sense we should be more focused on praying Christians and non-Christians into heaven in the light of that future perspective. So it's worth thinking, isn't it? This is a serious thing. Jesus is coming back. Maybe we, for ourselves, need to think, have I put my trust in Jesus? We need to take the warnings that we read here seriously. But the invitation is open to us to put our trust in Jesus today. But for those of us who are trusting in him to then pray in the light of that. We, we often talk about, sorry, I'm going to, just let me do the slides, I've got it here. Um, we often talk about how decisions that we make now affect our future. So here's the decision that will affect our ultimate future, the investment that lasts for eternity. 
So let that influence how we pray. And we see how it influences Paul as he turns to pray in the final two verses. So two prayers that we might rarely pray. Here we go. Two prayers that we might rarely pray for characters and ambitions shaped by God. Verse 11. Have a look at this. So verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of our calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. So do you see how these two perspectives, looking back, looking forwards, how they give shape to the prayer that Paul then prays? With those perspectives in mind, his focus isn't just on the here and now, having a slightly easier time of it, his situations and and stuff, his focus shifts to character. Can you see that? That God would make you worthy of his calling, that this is not about making ourselves worthy to be saved, but as we said, it's about having been saved, living in the light of that and becoming more like Jesus. So what do we pray then for our children and our godchildren and our loved ones and ourselves in the light of those perspectives that we've just been thinking about? What are our priorities? What do we think success looks like as we consider the future for ourselves and our loved ones? Are we praying for just for achievements and present-day comfort, as it were? Or are we praying for godliness so we're ready for eternity? Character, do you see? And then our ambitions, and this is quite striking, That God will bring to fruition your desires for goodness. And that is amazing because the implication is that as we change and become more like Jesus, what we desire will change. What our ambitions are will change. Can you see this? So you bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. And so those, that, that, that desire that we will then have and the, and the deeds prompted by faith won't just be about present day situations and stuff. It will be in the light of that eternal perspective. So it's like that situation where you're going on holiday but someone in your family or one of your friends or your flatmates or whatever is just carrying on as normal. Okay, and the taxi will be here in three hours. Have you packed? Oh, we've got plenty of time. You know, I'm just going to finish this game that I'm playing. Okay, it's now 90 minutes. No, it's now 30 minutes. Oh, I'm just going to take a shower. See, there's a, there's a lack of future perspective when we're like that, isn't there? But if we get that future perspective right of what is going to happen, it changes how we act now and it changes what even our ambitions are for the present moment and for us getting that future perspective clear will change our priorities for what we pray so that character and ambition shaped by God are the focus and Paul's looking back perspective also shapes this remember he says with this in mind so if you think about how you want to be able to give thanks for people persevering through trials and suffering well that is going to shape how you pray for people going through trials and suffering 
And so when we pray for Christians to be worthy of his calling, that means we're praying, again, for Christians to persevere. So sometimes it's helpful to tell people this is, this is what you're praying for when you're trying to encourage them. You know, we, you know, we naturally say, of course, I'll pray about the, the difficult thing that you're facing. But it's, it's helpful to say, and I'm praying, you know, perhaps that, you know, it'd be wonderful if God took that away, but I'm praying even more that God will shape you and change you as he promises to do. Because that is a promise that he makes when we face suffering. There is no guarantee he will remove the suffering that we face, but there is a guarantee that he will shape us and change us as we go through it. So we can tell one another, that is what I'm praying for you. And that is, is greatly encouraging to hear. And then finally, verse 12, for the glory of Jesus. So what is the point of all this? The point of all this is so that Jesus is honoured and glorified. And again, the future perspective will shape this because if we're heading for eternity with Jesus, what are we going to be doing in eternity? We're going to be bringing glory to him, which means praising him, worshipping him, living for him, having our, our whole selves focused on him. So, start practising now. That's the point, isn't it? So we sometimes say, and you, if you've been around, you've probably heard me say this before, if you don't like church, you'll hate heaven. Which is not, as we was going to say, it's not that heaven will be like any particular church, because you know, we're full of sinners, and it won't, it's not that it's going to be about mildly comfortable seats and digestive biscuits and all that kind of thing. But the point is more that if we don't want to be around God's people now, we're going to find it really hard being around God's people for eternity. But the same logic then applies for glorifying Jesus. So if you don't like saying, no, Jesus must get the glory and not me, my life must be about him and not just me and my preferences and my comforts, well, actually, you're going to find eternity really tough because that, that is what eternity is about. But as... Jesus is glorified. This is really important to see. Look at what Paul says also happens. Do you see these words in the middle of verse 12? He just slips this in, that our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. So think about what that means. It doesn't mean that we're honoured and praised like him because he's the one who gets the, the, the glory, but it means that we become the best version of ourselves that we were created to be when we're glorifying him. Because here's the thing, see, right back in the Garden of Eden, the serpent's lie was to convince Eve that glorifying God would mean that she lost her freedom. And the thing is, human beings have believed that ever since. That, in one sense, is what sin is. It sounds like bad news to have to say, Jesus is the boss and not me. Sounds like, oh, no, that's, that's a terrible thing. Oh, that, you know... Really difficult things, I have to say. Sounds like a drag. But it turns out that is what we were created for. So when the world says, you know, find your best self, and all that kind of language that people like to use, your best self is when you're glorifying Jesus. Because that's what you're made for. It's your purpose. That's your identity. You know, the world says, find, invent your own identity. No, you've, you've been given an identity. Here's, here's who you are. If you want to know who you really are, 
You've been made to praise and glorify God and Jesus. That's who you are. So be that. Because that's, that's where you'll find yourself working as you were meant to work, as it were. So can you see then? We began by noting that so often our prayers are really just asking for God to join in our plans, bless our endeavours, whatever they will be. And Paul is showing us that we need that much broader perspective. Looking back both at his grace and work in our lives and forwards to when Jesus returns. And then we need to be praying in the light of that. So as we finish, Don Carson tells the story of Florence Chadwick. Do you know who she was? She was the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways in the early 1950s. <clears throat> and later on, she was trying to swim a similar distance from Catalina Island to Los Angeles. Okay? And so she's a similar kind of distance as the English Channel. The day that she set out to do it, it was cloudy and cold. She could barely see the boats that accompanied her. And so for 15 hours, she swam and swam and swam as hard as she could. But she just didn't seem to be able to keep going. She said, it's getting too much, I can't do it. And her trainer was there in the boat and said, no, you can do it, keep going. You can do it, you'll get there. But she said, no, I'm going to have to stop. You're going to have to pull me out. And so they pulled her out. And the boats then took her to the shore and she realised she had just been half a mile away from it when she was pulled out. So the next day she gave a press conference. She said, I don't want to make excuses, but I believe that if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And then two months later, she proved herself right. It was a bright and sunny day. The LA um, shoreline was in view the whole time. She didn't waver. She swam the whole distance. So she needed the right perspective and the vision to succeed, do you see? And that is what we need in order to pray, to have the finish line in view, looking forwards where we're going, looking back as well where we've come from. Have those two things in view. So it's not just about the stuff we're in the middle of right here, right now. If we just focus on that, we'll be like Florence Chadwick and we will sink. But instead, keep our eyes fixed on where we're going, look forward to Jesus' return, and with that in mind, pray. So let's pray now. Let's pray. Father God, as we begin this series thinking about prayer, we confess that so often our mindsets are so focused on just the here and now, and we lose the perspective both of ways in which you've been at work and what the future holds. Help us to get those perspectives clear. If we're not yet trusting in Jesus, help us to hear that warning, hear both the warning but also what is offered to anybody who will trust in Jesus Christ to be rescued to be given new life 
to be given a place with Jesus in eternity. And then as we look forward to him returning, might that change now how we pray? Would it, would it encourage us even to begin to pray if that's not something we really do? To know that we can pray. To know that as we pray to be made more like Jesus, as we pray to be ready for eternity, and pray that for our loved ones and our church family and the world around us too. We know these are prayers you will answer for your people who trust in Jesus. So help us to pray with confidence. Help us to pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.